Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. And Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, The Wise Woman Way, the newest book in the Wise Woman Herbal Series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? Oh, I think I am ready for what might be our first frost. Oh, wow. You are, wow, you're on a different 
we're we're dancing opposite with weather right now. We, we have a lovely day and having a little warm. Well, it's a lovely day, lovely warm sunny days, which is why it gets cold at night. Mm. So you're going to have your first Light blanket. Clouds are like a blanket. Yeah. So when it's rainy yeah. and cloudy, the heat stays down by the ground. Then when it clears up and we have these beautiful sunny days, that's when the nighttime temperatures get really cold. Yes, that's what we had last week. Our The pasture behind us was covered in frost in the morning. Oh. And yes, yes, and... Yes, well, I'm thinking I might see that when I look out my window tomorrow morning, but we'll see. Yes, and daytime temperatures in the 70s. Mm, Wow, we did not. Now, we weren't that lucky. We had the daytime temperatures to go with. um, Well, they were in the 50s and low 60s, but windy. The wind here can really get you. Yes, yeah. And, hey, the last workshops of the year this weekend – Seeds and Roots on Saturday, and it's supposed to be a beautiful sunny day, so we can be outside gathering seeds and roots, hooray. And then Sunday, a 50-50 chance of rain, and we'll be Mm. talking about adaptogens. So if we have to stay in, it's not the end of the world, although it's always fun to go and hide in the Andrew Vine. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like an exciting weekend. Two classes and a moon lodge too, right, on Friday? And a moon lodge, I was gonna say in the last moon lodge of the year as well. So mm. uh Wow, now I have to make a schedule for twenty twenty four. I already know wow. I'm gonna be out at the uh, Midwest Women's Herbal Conference again. Um <clears throat> Linda Conroy and her team that got it together said to me, and I had actually noticed this when I was there, they said, we have so many conference attendees who are totally new to herbal medicine. Mm. And I think it was something like maybe half of the women there this year in May were real newbies. So when we said wise woman tradition or infusion, they were like, huh? So she asked me if I would come and do an intensive on the basics. Oh, I love that. So I'll be doing that as a pre-conference and then teaching at the conference. We're going to do a um, heightening our shamanic senses weed walk. And she asked me to do the Fats Folly again. I taught Fats Folly uh, last year, and everybody loved it, where we get up and play fat molecules. Yeah, and that was, that was it's so much fun. <laughs> it was. <laughs> One of my best memories is the Albany nurses doing that. The who? <laughs> Big long the chain nurse? of them snaking, snaking through the room. Oh. It was oh great, great fun. Something about, you know, really embodying uh, what we're talking about that takes it really into a different place in our being. And, uh, well, all the plants that could really be hurt by frost had to come in today. Uh, that does does not mean that they are neatly arranged. It simply means they're inside. <laughs> I still have my uh-huh. work cut out for me. <laughs> to make it so that I can live and the plants can live and we can share the space. 
<laughs> right now they're taking up far too much room, but that's all right. I think I can consolidate that. Aw, redecorating for the season. <laughs> redecorating for the winter time, exactly. Exactly. And so what have you been doing? Oh, goodness. Um, well, today was super lovely. We tied record. I think it hasn't been this warm this late in October for like 60-something years. So that was wow. really enjoyable. Yeah, it was. Um, we are having like a true warm front, which we were not having last week. And um, But it is supposed to start raining tonight and then rain for the next four days before it gets cold, and then we prepare for our first freeze um, next week. So this week, um, I've just been doing barn stuff mostly. Um, I adopted two new chickens to the flock, and um, they're doing really well. Um, I really enjoyed meeting the woman who had been raising them. She really loves her chickens, so I feel like I feel the love. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they were so loved with her. So they've just added some brightness to the coop that was, you know, there was already some there, but they're just, I don't know, that's been fun, integrating them into the flock. And um, I finally got the bright idea to put some stalls in the goat stall. So you know how you have yours so neatly stalled, each in their own spot? Um, And I had too much chaos going on in the barn because I did not have that. So um, I was just separating them into three different stalls, nine goats, and it was just too much sometimes. So now I have more separators, dividers, and it's oh, it's been a nice week with that. So can actually be a little vicious with each other in close quarters. Yes, that is why first we had two. You know, when they're when they're outside, <laughs> if they like butt each other. There's room behind them to give, mm-hmm. to bounce. Mm-hmm. But when they're in um, a barn where there's walls, um, they can really hurt each other by butting each other up against the walls. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the girls has taken to being just too much, too bossy with her horns when she's in an open stall. So she's, yeah, these little the dividers are great. I don't know why, you know, having seen your barn and knowing how orderly your coats are stalled and kept at night, I don't know why it took me so long to, hello. <laughs> because but, most people freestall goats. Yeah, I mean, most... that is definitely what I've seen here, but they don't have horns, so mine do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. So even yeah. with the stalls, we have on two occasions, one at the place where I learned about goat keeping and one's here, had a goat break her lead or break her collar or break down the wall and actually kill another goat. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I can believe just, it because... It's just really horrifying when it happens. You think, oh, my gosh, how could, you know, how could that, how could she do that? But they they don't get that the other one can't take it because they can do that outside. 
Yeah, so thank goodness no one got severely hurt here. Um, but yeah. I did notice one had like a, you know, a gash on her side. Nothing requiring any real treatment of any kind, but it was just like, ugh. So, yeah, it dawned on me. And I could put good use to the pallets that I had in the spare lumber. And so got to work in the barn this week. And that has Back been to work in the barn. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. <laughs> Ah, peace. Peace yeah. in the Wissagas. Yeah. All right. We had a very fascinating guest tonight, Sydney Campos, a visionary, the founder of Embodied Ascension Academy, and she's devoted to creating heaven on earth. She's a sought-after expert in the field of embodiment. And I am so curious to find out what the field of embodiment is. Do you know? Um, I, I don't. I, no, not specifically. I definitely don't. I'm, I'm also curious. I hadn't All right, even well, that. And we we will be here, Sarah Ellen and I, at 9 o'clock when Sydney Campos shows up to tell us about the field of embodiment, which she is a sought-after expert in. And you can hang out here with us until then or go away, do something else, and come back at 9 o'clock East Coast time to hear Sydney Campos. Anything else you want to talk about or share? Oh, no, thank you, Susan, for asking. Do we have any questions? Um, I do see a hand that has already gone up, and I will remind everyone listening that if you have a question and would like to speak live with Susan this evening, all you need to do is press 1, and we'll get your hand up in the queue, and I will announce your area code when it is your turn to be on the line. All right. So with that, um, we have three hands that have pressed 1, and we'll go to the first hand raised from the 908 area code. From the 908, you are live with Susan. Good morning. Uh, it's not morning. Oh, yes. Hello, Susan. It could be morning where you are. You could be calling from somewhere far away. But I take it that you're not. Good evening. Good evening, Susan and Sarah Allen. It's Carol from New Jersey. Hey, Carol. How are you? I know you both are well. Yes, and you. Yes, as well. Um, I was wondering, Susan, if you could speak about lungs, about preparing our lungs for the, you know, upcoming fall and winter, um, and what suggestions you have for for um, keeping ourselves really healthy as we start the fall and winter. The reason that we think of the winter at the time when we get more colds and flus is mm. primarily because we breathe air that is dry. Oh. So I was thinking today when I was outside with the goats, 
about how important it is to have natural light and to take your glasses or your contacts out for at least part of the time that you're out in natural light. It's a very important way that your body prepares itself for the changes of seasons because the light is kind of different now, isn't it? Yes. And your body really registers that difference when you give yourself that outdoor light and helps change you at a cellular level. So you're more resilient to changes of temperature. And that's also part of getting ready for the cold is to actually get ready for the cold. What most people do is try to ward off the cold. Try to not be cold, right? Yes. And I'm sure you've heard me talk about this before, that this is the ideal time <clears throat> to get cold. <laughs> right? What we wanted do to stay healthy in the winter is to, first of all, let our bodies know it is winter. So if the if by now you're wearing a hat and gloves and a coat, your body may never know it's winter. Somebody stopped on the road the other day and she looked at me and she said, Aren't your feet cold? Because, of course, I'm still walking perfect. Oh, right. Right? Yes. And so my body's going to know that it's winter. It's not, you know, just suddenly one day get cold. Like, my body has been registering the change in the light and the change in the temperature of the ground and Mm. the slant of the sun. And so all of those things um, help my body know what needs to be done to encounter the changing seasons. I may have mentioned at some point, but it really sticks with me, that I used to get emails from this group. I'm sure they're probably still in existence. Um, I don't remember their name. But they purported to be people who were, like, um, in communication with nature. And I'm sure they were. I'm not saying that they weren't. Um, but I took leave of them when I got an email from them around about this time of the year, which they it's going to be cold. You need to go outside and tell the plant to be cold. As the plants are very not just one day. 
but from everything that's happening. In fact, many of us see what to me is one of the most miraculous things. The trees are actually making the leaf buds that will unfurl into next year's leaves right now. Yeah. So, since the office, the plants are very, very clearly happening. It's not um, <clears throat> mystery to them. They don't need to be told. Nor does your body, if your body is allowed to encounter natural light and natural cold. And then, of course, do all of those things that you already do. Keep drinking a quart of nourishing herbal infusion every day. Keep eating your well-cooked meals of food that's as local as you can get it. And that's organic in the right places. Which means your fats and anything that contains fat, like nuts or grains or beans, meat, eggs, dairy. People often start at the end of the spectrum that doesn't really make much difference. And that's the fruits and vegetables. I certainly have nothing against organic fruits and vegetables. If you have access to them and you can afford them, absolutely. But if you can't afford them, you're going to do better for your health by affording organic butter than by getting even organic strawberries. That said, what remedies have you made for yourself to carry into the winter should you need them? Oh, I, I, I haven't made anything. Which is why all of my teachers always told me to make two years worth when you made it. Because yes. there might be a year when you just don't for whatever reason. So do you have any remedies left over from last year? Um, I, I might have p- purchased. I have some echinacea from quite a while ago, and I know you'll say it's still good, echinacea. And of course it's so good. Why um, wouldn't it still be good? Yeah. No, I, I've I've heard you. Yeah. Mhm. And yeah. that's good. So you have some echinacea on hand. Um, probably all, all I've made. Elderberry, of course, is a wonderful ally to have on hand. And people like, in fact, to start um, sipping elderberry along about this time of the year. So I made, you remember when we were harvesting the peaches from the peach tree and I was doing all kinds of things with the peaches and I made some elderberry peach preserve 
kind of thing. And, Mm. you know, I didn't can it or do much to it. It just kind of lingering in the refrigerator. got a little fermented, and I cooked it with a little uh, cinnamon tincture since I was playing around with the cinnamon tincture. And and so, you know, every evening with my evening meal, um, I usually have a tablespoon of this spiced peach elderberry, whatever we want to call it, yum. Yeah, yum. So, and Justine just said, hmm, I think I need to make uh, some mullen chai. My lungs are calling out for mullen chai. Could you repeat that recipe, please? It's on the website. Just write in uh, Susan Weed Mullen Chai to your browser, and you will come right up with it. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. And it's basically mullen infusion, strained, and then half and half mullen infusion and milk. And you can buy chai spice. Frontier sells chai spice. We just dump it out on the table and pick out the peppercorns. Oh, yes. Because, of course, we don't want the pepper in it. Ook, ook, ook. And no. don't, don't need, well, pepper is a, a inflammatory. Yeah, right. Right. So I do not need an inflammatory in my diet. Thank you. So we just, it's you know, we just sit there and talk to each other and pull out the peppercorns. It doesn't take very no. long at all. So sweet. And... Uh, yeah, and then we you can use that um, chai spice um, when you you can heat it up in the milk and add that to the mullein or how, however it works for you to get the chai spice in there. But the recipe, as I said, is online. Yes, thank you. I, I did yeah. collect that mullein. I did collect that, so I do have that in my storage area. Yeah, garage. Good so work. My- All right. Yay. So you got Mullen. Yay. Yay. Sitting there. But that's what I'm going to make. Ready, ready for you to brew it up into yes. a wonderful infusion. Yes. Hallelujah. That is a wonderful thing. Yeah. And one of the delightful things, of course, is bringing herbs into your life because we like them and enjoy them. We're not just drinking uh, mullein chai because we're concerned about winter and we have to get ready. No, we're actually drinking mullein chai because we like the way it tastes, because it's easy to find mullein, it's an easy plant to dry, it's fun to do it. Yes. So all of of those things, because, of course, um, one of the aspects to me of herbal medicine that is very important is that it connects us to nature. Yeah. Given an opportunity to remember that we are cared for. Yes. One ounce, Susan, for the infusion of mullen. An ounce of dried herb to a quart of water. Yes. 
You're welcome. Thanks for calling, Carol. Lots of love to you. Thank you. Love you. Love you so much. Love you. Thank you. All right. And I'll remind everyone, if you've got a question this evening and would like to speak live with Susan, please press 1, and then we'll get your hands up, and we'll see you waiting in the queue. At this time, I see three hands that have pressed 1, and we'll go to the next in the 505 area code. In the 505, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Um, This is Mary. Hi. Hi, Mary. Um, I just, uh, okay, so um, I just wanted to say, well, so many things, but mostly that my garden has been the best that it ever has been in the dry, high Santa Fe mountains. Um, I have dandelions, I have uh, some comfrey, I have some yarrow, I have one, one, just one hypericum that's still there and nettles and um, it, it's just made a big change for me when I switched over to um, learning from you. It really, so, which brings me to, um, I have like a hundred things in my apothecary, but uh, two days ago, I made some, uh, uh, oh, the sage. Okay, so it's, I put it in some honey, and it was dry. And so I've been kind of like rolling it, rolling it around, waiting for it to sink to the bottom, kind of like what the infusions do. And so, so tell me, do you know the mechanical name of the plant you're talking Whoops, I, I don't think I could hear that question. Say that again. Do you know the botanical name of the plant you're talking about? Um, I, it's kitchen sage. I think it's... Uh, All right, that, that's what I wanted to know. It's yeah. a salvia. It's a regular salvia. sage. Yep, regular. Because yeah. you're in the desert, it could be sagebrush. Right, I have that too, but no, not in the tincture. All right, okay, so when you say it's dry... Um, did you cut up the leaves? No, I harvested um, a few weeks ago, I think, maybe three, four, maybe a month ago. I cut the tops, and there was new growth, and um, it was all vibrant. It hadn't died back yet. And so I put it in the dark w- with air circulation and just let it dry. <clears throat> and then I was on the on the on your site the other day, poking around, and I saw, oh, sage honey. I need cough medicine. Dry you have to do it with fresh sage. I didn't. You have <laughs> to do it with fresh. Okay. You cannot. You cannot do what you're trying to do. It's not going to work. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, but it still tastes good. Okay, so you have to have fresh. Well, yeah, you have sage oh. and honey, and they don't taste bad. But when the sage is fresh, there's an interaction between the water and the sage and the honey. Oh, okay. And the honey is sucked into the sage and actually crystallizes the sage, and it's then preserved for, like, forever. Okay. Well, I still have some fresh. When the sage is dried, the honey doesn't have any way to get into it. All you're going to have is dried sage and honey. Yeah. It still tastes good, 
but it's, it's still not good. It's not going to taste bad. It's not bad ingredients. It can't taste bad, but it's it's not sage honey. <clears throat> okay, got it. That's what I'm saying. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, it's good. It's not noxious or bad or bad for you or anything, but it is not sage honey. The reaction isn't happening there with the Hola, you're better off going out to your sage patch and harvesting more. Mm-hmm. Yep, I will. Chop um, it up very finely. Okay. Ah. It's, it's important when we make remedies that the herb be chopped. Okay. We can't just toss um, whole pieces of herb in with honey and expect things to happen. Okay. Surface area. Correct. Okay. You got it. Surface area. Very important. Okay. Um, thank you. I, I, I completely understand that one. <clears throat> and so my, my winter um, question is, is there any uh, steam, uh, like kind of like a facial steam for sinuses um, with maybe time or, um, you know, I don't know. I was just thinking of moistening the dry sinuses. But then you, Carol, spoke about the mullen, so that's on my list as well. <clears throat> Keeping more, moisture, keeping more moisture in the air when there's heating on is a really healthy idea. However, you can keep more moisture in the air. If what works for you is to have a pot of water boiling somewhere, mm-hmm. that certainly works for me have a wood stove. Yeah, well, in fact, most days we evaporate. We have a very large surface area container that's on there, and most days we evaporate five to six gallons of water into the air. Right. So what I often see is when people say, oh, yes, you know, we're putting some humidity into the air, we're talking in cups, not in gallons. And what I what I like to see is people really re-moisturizing their air if they possibly can. And I know sometimes they can't. Another way to work with that is to uh, put the heat on later, put the heat on less, turn the heat off at night. Mm-hmm. These mm-hmm. are all mm-hmm. keep the air moisture. Okay. All right. Okay. And certainly don't have any problem um, with people using steams, but myself, um, I'm kind of klutzy. And if there's a technique where somebody could get hurt, I'm going to be the one who gets hurt. So I never actually had a, a an accident with esteem, but I certainly have heard of people who have. Uh-huh. 
be too hot. It's steam. <clears throat> it's dry steam, and a steam burn is actually a pretty bad burn. Right, right. So... Okay, so just mo- the moisture in the air. Moisturize the air. Okay. Moisturize the air rather than put it <clears throat> on your face or whatever. Yeah. Protect yourself. Okay. Great. Okay, thank you. Good. Well, I have, I have to go pick some sage now. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay, go pick some sage. Enjoy. <laughs> and the sage will be so happy that it is I getting a little... Haircut right about this time of the year. I always say be kind to all of your mints. Go out and give them a late pruning. They really, mm-hmm. really do like it. And this is said mm-hmm. from the person who is like the world's most reluctant pruner. <laughs> right. But I. But nonetheless, I know they love it. Okay. Thanks for your call. Green blessings. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. All right, and it looks like there are three callers that have their hand raised, and we'll go to the next who has dialed in from the 401 area code. From the 401, you are live with Susan. Hello. Hi. Hi. This is um, this is Deborah from Rhode Island. I haven't been here in a while. Thanks um, for calling. Yes. Um, well, yesterday I dug up some comf- comfrey root, and I have a couple of questions about that. Having never um, done that before, so it's uh, pretty labor intensive. After cleaning all the roots, I got a lot, and um, didn't know I was getting too much. So I let them dry overnight, and today I cut them all, and there are. I've got 19 crowns, I think is what you would call them. I cut, I got rid of a lot of the pliable, soft, very tiny roots. Um, then I wonder what I... Say, when you say got rid of, what do you mean? Okay, that I've chosen not to use them because um, they were soft. Well, what, what did you do with them? Well, I still have them. I'm going to ask you what I what, what would be a good idea. Well, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, oh my gosh, what did she do with this? <laughs> because first of all, where you dug it out? Yeah. You didn't dig it out. It will all be right there next year. I understand that. That's and why then I'm... all of what you have now, um, even the tiniest little pieces, will grow new plants. Wow. So I can take those crowns. When I say crowns, um, they're, they're several roots all grown in together, seemingly, and there's a hollow center to a big, fat um, space. And then when I cut some of that off, there's a lot of dirt inside in the middle. Um, so I don't want to use that. Well, it's only because I have like a couple of quarts already, and I want to make a tincture, and I want to dry some, and I want to ask how you dry them best if you don't have a dehydrator. So um, I have little, little, little tiny ones, three three quarters of an inch. I have inch. I have inch and a half. I have inch and three quarter circles. And then I have hunks and chunks, little ones, you know, like the tip of your finger. Um, so I have them all 
sectioned off. I get a lot of Virgo in my chart, even though I'm a Libra. So I've got all the little ones together, all the big ones. Um, so I'm not sure what to, whether to dry the bigger ones, uh, the little ones, put what in the tinctures. I thought maybe the chunks because... Tell me what you're going to do with the ones that you dry. Um, um, I'm not certain, to tell you the truth. I am drinking the comfrey infusions with the leaves, so um, I wanted to have it as a medicine, um, and then I'm not even sure what I would use it for, um, but I had the opportunity to dig up the root. Um, what are your suggestions? Don't dry What do you it. use dried root for? Don't, my suggestion is don't dry it. Oh, because? I've never used dried comfrey root. Oh. You tincture it? I rarely use comfrey root. I drink comfrey leaf infusion. I drink a lot of it. Yeah. Well, darn. I drink drink at least a quart every five days. Yeah. And sometimes more, and I've been doing that for 35 years. And um, I've made... um, Wound remedies occasionally from the roots, but after the first time I let somebody dig a root in my garden and she dropped it, and instead of my orderly dozen um, comfrey plants, I had a 13th one where she dropped a tiny piece of root. I just stopped digging the root. I didn't see Hmm. any need to the root. Okay. So if I had a bunch of comfrey root, I probably would tincture it because the tincture would be the most stable and last the longest. There was um, a presenter at the Comfrey Conference who worked with dried comfrey roots. You might want to check that out if you have access to the Comfrey Conference. And he has this really super-duper blender where he dries his comfrey root and then he blends it up. And makes this really incredible stuff with it. So you wouldn't but, use it for a, a break or, say, if you broke a bone, you wouldn't take it internally, a comfrey root? I thought that was bone knit. Um, or is the leaf do the same thing? The leaf does exactly the same thing. I'll be done. I've only ever used the leaf to deal with broken bones. Um, okay, as a poultice, and internally. I drink a quart of comfrey leaf infusion every five days. I know. When there's a problem, like a broken bone, then I drink a quart of whatever infusion is the infusion of the day, plus I drink a cup or two of comfrey that day. Okay. So I am through the process pretty much constantly drinking comfrey as well as whatever other infusion is possible to me. And when I feel that that has healed enough, then I don't drink comfrey infusion every day, but just once five days. But just what? You broke up. But just once every five days, as is usual. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. The next question in line with that is this woman, she has an animal rescue farm, 44 acres. She had a zillion um, comfrey, root pl- comfrey plants, and they were all leafed out, beautiful, beautiful leaves, as if it was the spring before the flowers came. And so I I picked them all, and I'm drying them, and right beside it, she had all this motherwort, and I was just delighted to see it. However, it is the fall, and um, the the motherwort leaves were huge as well, so I've got those drying too. I picked a bunch. Um, at You'll this never time, use the, them. Infuse, I'll use them as infusion. Even you though will never use them. You will not drink an infusion of them. Of, of, oh, no, you mean motherwort? They taste so bad. I know. I have, I have drank it. I have drank it. Drunk it. <laughs> I have had it. I didn't. It, I kind of liked it, to tell you the truth, but you know what? I was okay, really needed another right. water at the time. If you like it, go for it. No problem. I think it's really disgusting. I was just well, filling my mother with. I was uh, just filling my mother with tincture bottle and licking the bottle and saying, "Ah, oh, this tincture tastes so good and it smells so good. It's so hard to believe that something that tastes and smells this good can come from a plant that tastes so vile in water." I know. Um, the reason I didn't tincture it, um, I don't have enough for a quart. It's not the right time to tincture it. It's not really the right time to pick it either. I I know. I know, but I, I, well, I'm going to have a frost here for a couple of days, so well, next week. So Biennial. It's a biennial. Motherwort will be green all winter. What? So there's no nutrition in it. This is the time of the year when the plants responding to the changing light yeah. and the changing temperatures store what they need for the winter in their roots. Yes. The peak of photosynthesis is the middle of June. From the middle of June until now, the plants have been photosynthesizing less and less and less. Okay. Even so though they're very green. You have vitamins in the plants at this time. The minerals are pretty much in the roots of the motherwort. And when the motherwort comes up into flower, everything that's in the root now will be in those flowering stalks, and that's when we make the tincture. Yeah. I did last year. Well, isn't that a funny thing? I know how many hours of work I did digging it up and cleaning it and cutting it and... Oh my God! And 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 motherwort no, or the comfrey? Excuse me. The motherwort. I'm sorry. I'm sorry what are you, you asking? You no, said no, you I spent didn't. a lot of hours digging up the motherwort. No, I only dug up comfrey, the root. Oh, okay. I, I thought we were talking about motherwort. I must have gotten confused. Okay. No, what I said was everything I did, all the hours that I spent for two days, is is totally worthless. I'm laughing at myself. One of the things that I suggest to people is that before they harvest a plant, they know what they're going to do with it. Well, I did. I went on Google and I um, looked up everybody and what they did with it and how they dug it and yeah, well, I don't allow my students to go on Google because it's the worst possible information. Okay. 
as a matter of fact, one of the uh, correspondence course students was at the Zoom meeting last week, and she was hysterical because she had dug up a big recruit head, as you, you know, gotten the dirt off of it. And, you know, you don't be so scrupulous in getting the dirt off. It won't hurt if you put some dirt in your tincture. As a matter of fact, it will probably be good for you. Um, so what I usually do is have a lot of soil on them is toss them in a tub of cold water, let them sit for a few hours, squish them around. Excuse me, excuse me. You're all staticky. Uh, is everybody hearing her that way, or is that me? I got two new phones. Um, I can't hear. Yeah. I can barely understand what you just said, like the last three sentences. Sarah Ellen? Yeah, you were breaking up just a little bit there, Susan. No, I can't hear anything. It's, it's, you're not yeah. coming through at all. Uh, yeah, we're we're not getting any words anymore, Susan. Okay, and I can I hear you. That, yeah, I think she's going to call back in and and get a fresh connection. Um, yeah. So we'll give Susan just a moment here to dial back in. Okay. And I will open mine. All right. Here we go. And let's see if we can hear you. Susan, are you is here with us? Is this, is this better? Oh, much better. Thank you. Yay. All right. So when I have a lot of roots that have a lot of soil on them, I toss them into a tub or a bucket of water. And I let them sit for a while. And then I swish them around. And then I hose them off. And other than that, I don't try to get rid of any more dirt. Okay. If if when I'm cutting it, um, I cut into a place, as you say, which is kind of like a heart of dirt in the thing, I would usually just rinse that off. But I'll find it as I cut, because I'm cutting it up again for surface area. So I don't spend a lot of time trying to make the roots immaculately clean. Okay. I do. It's not particularly useful, and a lot of the... Most important vitamins are right at the surface. Oh. Think about it. Antioxidant vitamins are there to fight oxygen. Where is the oxygen? It's more at the surface of the plant than at the deep inner part. Oh. So the skins and the outer parts of the plants are the parts where you want to be careful to try to protect. Would that be true for burdock when they say to peel it, to cook it? Yes. Okay. When, you would yeah. only peel burdock if it's particularly tough. Would you peel a carrot? Hmm. That's why I don't like people no. going online. It's 
crazy information. Yeah. She has had harvested poke root. She, you know, dug it up, no problem, washed it up, no problem, um, cut it up, made a tincture, no problem. And then she went online and it said, oh, it's terrible and it'll cause you to break out and this horrible stuff is going to happen and da-da-da. And she totally freaked out, even though none of that had happened to her. Because she was being told that it would. Yeah. And. Well, I can plant 19 of those. Jeez, uh, I could put plant a whole field with what I got if I threw a little bit of root in there. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'll, maybe I'll just do a comfrey garden with all those crowns. And you understand that wherever you plant it, it will be forever. You can never change where it is. Yes, I'm on eight acres, and I have a big empty field, but it's for pretty sandy soil. I don't know if you saw the Comfrey Conference. It was subtitled, Time to End the Fear. And um, there was one presentation at the Comfrey Conference which terrified me. It was... I've, I've lost you again. It's static. Yeah, maybe Your it's... Phone I... is... No, I think it's Susan's phone, and it looks like her call has dropped. So let's give her that. But, oh, I do think it is yours as well. Hey, you either. Except I heard you say oh. Susan's phone. I'm going to open Susan's line, and then maybe I will hang up. And back in. Okay. Right. What state are you in? Where? It's really fuzzy again. How how distressing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm let me I'm gonna hang up. Maybe my line is interfering. So you two go on and I will dial back okay. in. You won't even know. Maybe All it's right. my line. <sighs> Let's see, is that better with her gone? Still no, got a first and no, it's hot. Yeah. And of course I guess, what was it, last week or the week before, where they wouldn't even let us on at all? Oh. Yeah. Mm. None of us none of us could get in. But I can hear you better, in fact, now that she is gone. Okay. So, yes. Comfrey has to be put in a place where you're going to be happy to have it for the next hundred years, and the only frightening thing at the Comfrey Conference was a 43-second video in which we drove past acre upon acre upon acre of Comfrey, and the person said she had planted it 30 years ago, and she planted three plants. Uh, oh, thank you. Oh, man, I'm so glad I called this evening. Oh, okay. The overzealousness of uh, a newbie here. So, I'm really not a newbie. I'm 73. Where you plant this comfrey, it will live forever. Mm. One of my past apprentices got a scholarship and was asked to work in the garden, and the head gardener asked her to dig up the comfrey patch and throw it in the compost. And she mm. said... You do not want me to do this. And the head gardener got really 
kind of fierce with her and said, you know, I'm going to get you thrown out of here unless you do exactly as I tell you to do. And so she just kind of gave in and said, all right, you know, I'm going to dig all of this comfrey up and I am going to throw it in the compost pile. That's what you want. That's what you're going to get. And she went back the next year, of course, out of curiosity. (laughs) They had had to abandon a one-acre garden because they spread the compost on it. And it was wall-to-wall comfrey. Oh! (laughs) Wow. So be careful where you put it. I will. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) And... You know, make some tinker of it. You can dry it. You can keep it on hand. The difficulty with roots is that they attract insects. In the jar, no less. Or, or while they're drying. I generally don't keep things in jars. Okay. I don't have room. I would have to have two more houses if I kept my herbs in jars. Yeah. Because the jars take up a lot more space than brown paper bags. Hmm. So, again, if you had the Comfrey Conference, that's really what I would urge you to do. You would get such a delight and hear so many people talking about comfrey and hopefully um, decide what you can do with what you've got Um, whatever you decide to do it's going to work out fine don't worry about it okay 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 thank you you're welcome green blessings (laughs) bye 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 all right, and it looks like we have four callers that have pressed one to let us know that they've got a question. And the next is dialed in from the 619 area code. From the 619, you are live with Susan. Hello. Hello. Uh, hello, Susan. Thank you for taking my call. I'm a baby. I hear the baby. I wanted to ask uh, if you know, um, can tinctures cause uh, aches on the bottom of the belly? Because uh, recently um, I'm having uh, aches in that area. And I started... uh, uh, to do tinctures first time uh, in summer, and I strained one of them recently. It was calendula flower tincture, and, uh, and uh, a tincture of what? I'm sorry, calendula. what flower? Calendula. Calendula flower tincture. Uh huh. Go ahead. And I noticed those eggs kind of increased. And I stopped. I'm sorry, what did you notice? 
the x on the bottom of the belly like around the pubic bone uh, in that area and uh, I stopped I'm and sorry, I, like I'm, I'm having a hard time following are you talking about a person or the tincture tincture so there's something on the bottom of the tincture and is it like no, no. white uh, no, I'm talking about my uh, sensation after taking the tincture, and I'm a sensation after you took the calendula tincture. Yes. Okay. And I and was wondering, a, could it be related how much, to how much calendula tincture did you take? I started uh, from five drops, and then increased to maybe. Fifteen. Uh huh. And what kind of alcohol did you use to make the tincture? What uh, eighty proof vodka? So first of all, let me say that it's not very useful to make tinctures with eighty proof vodka. Mm. When we, make it, when, we make, when we make a tincture, what we are doing is we are drawing into solution things that are in the plant into mm-hmm. our tincture. In order for that to happen, there has to be a difference between the plant and the liquid that we've put it in. When the vodka is 100 proof, then there is a difference. When it's 80 proof, there isn't a difference. Mm-hmm. I read, uh, I learned that uh, 80 proof can be used uh, if uh, you keep it longer, like not six to eight weeks, but no, I can no, 12. You are wrong. I don't know. But you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Longer doesn't do Thing because you, it, it's a process that's not working. Letting it sit longer isn't isn't useful. It can't do it. it ha, it's called osmosis, and the stuff in the plant has to go into the vodka, and that happens because of the difference. You can let it sit for twenty years, and there's not going to be a bigger difference. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So that. So can you tell me why you were taking calendula tincture? Because um, this was the first tincture I made that was ready. And I wanted to see if I have any reaction to it. And also in one of the um, podcasts you mentioned that it's good for, for women's health. Uh, to fight uh, cancer. So let, so let mm-hmm. me ask you this. Are you drinking nourishing herbal infusion? I currently drink uh, nettle. nettle. You're drinking nettle. Are you weighing out one ounce? Yes. Okay. And brewing it overnight. It's sitting overnight. Usually at the 24 hours. I'm sorry? 24 hours. 
too long, you're going to kill yourself. Okay, I'll do overnight then. Oh, no more than for overnight. Four hours or overnight is the longest. Certainly mm-hmm. not 24 hours ever. Because uh, it will go back? Because the nettle contains protein. And if you let that protein sit for 24 hours, there's a good chance that it will make you sick. Mm-hmm. And I don't want you to be sick. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, so you think uh, those tinctures I made so, over the so to me, summer, I should get rid most, of them? To me, the most important thing to do is to drink your nourishing herbal infusions. In general, oh. I take tinctures when I need them. Then mm-hmm. Taking tinctures isn't something we do to be healthy. Tinctures can't make us healthy. Tinctures help to deal with problems that we have. Mm-hmm. It's the nourishing herbal infusions that make us healthy. So that's what we focus on. And not just nettle. That's not enough. There are five nourishing herbal infusions. Straw. Comfrate. London. Red clover. Yes, I plan to add other two. I'm sorry. You are drinking of the other infusions. No, no, I'm going to add them. Good, and they're not all. They're not all together. They're one at a time, right? Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yes, I, I remember. Good, and, uh, and, and I'm glad that you. I'm really glad that you made a calendula tincture. And what I'd like you to do is to start off by using it externally. Mm-hmm. If either you or the baby have a minor injury, put a little calendula tincture on it. Okay. okay. And uh, if I have lots of other tinctures made with this 80 proof alcohol, those are not, uh, will be not helpful to take internally? Very difficult to make a good enough tincture when you don't have good enough alcohol. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let and, me be very most people say in order to make a tincture, you have to use grain alcohol, which is very high proof. And I have pioneered the idea of being able to use a lower proof alcohol. But you can only go so low before it doesn't work. And a hundred proof is the lowest you can go and have it really physiologically be effective. Now, that said, placebos work. And placebos work even when we know they're placebos. So what you have done is you have made a lot of lovely placebos. 
and that's fine. They will probably work because placebos work. So don't throw it out. Keep it. Use it. But in the future, know that you need to get 100 proof in order to have real the real effect that you want. Mm-hmm. So taking more of a tincture that hasn't or letting it sit for longer are ways that will not work. Mm-hmm. I understand. Do you understand what's happening in the tincture? Mm-hmm. That, that, that there is a process by which the difference between the fluid in the fresh plant and the water in the fresh plant and the amount of water in the tincture that sets up a flow like a tide, like a pull. And 80 proof vodka is 60% water. Mm-hmm. It's too much like the plant for that flow to get set up. A mm-hmm. hundred proof is only fifty percent water, and that makes a big difference to setting up that flow that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. I understand. I will start over. Yeah. So okay. go ahead and use those tinctures, and I'm sure you know that they will be wonderful. And you made them with love, and yourself and whoever else uses them will have that love and will receive that healing. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And may I also ask about the pain on the bottom of the uh, belly. At uh, what, what point I need to uh, think about serious uh, you know, exam? Because I'm having a phone and you have a pain in the bottom of your belly? Yes, around the pubic bone. And it started a few months ago. Sometimes comes, then disappears. And recently it was bothering me almost every day. And uh, I, I thought maybe it also is not pinched, maybe it's because of I'm wearing a baby and she's heavy. And I also have uterine. No, uh, bladder roll up, maybe because of this, I'm having this pain. But now, I don't know. Certainly all of those things could be It's hard to know from what you're saying, um, and it's a very good question, at what point you might want to say maybe someone else should look at this pain because Mm -hmm. it's a little hard for me to really clearly uh, understand what you're saying. And so what I ask myself in that situation is I actually ask my body, is what I'm doing good enough or do, do we need some help here? Can you repeat this? Uh, if what? You're asking yourself what? I, I ask my body, 
am I taking care of you well enough or should I seek some other help? Mm-hmm. It's, it is certainly a kind of tricky thing to know about and we want to attention. Surely what's going on with ourselves compliment you on that. And of course we don't want to um, put ourselves in a vulnerable place with the medical profession who had been proven to over-treat. So you want to get the help that you need, absolutely, and you want to be sure that you don't set yourself up for being over-treated because that does happen as well. If I go to a gynecologist for this, and I haven't been for two years after the, my daughter was born. And they how, say, old is, how old is your pap- baby? Uh, she will be two in a few months. Two, I'm sorry, she'll be how old in a few months? Yeah, she will be two years. Two years. And so two years ago was the last time you saw a gynecologist? Yes. And uh, I did pap smear maybe more than five years ago. So they would want me to do pap smear and maybe ultrasound. Should I agree to all this or just wait when and see how it goes and then decide? Well, the idea about having pap smears is that the pap smear can give an early indication of the possibility of cancer. Mm-hmm. And so that's, it's a non-invasive test. Again, the biggest problems come from over-treatment because if they find human papillomavirus, they go a little crazy about it. And yet, uh, you know, probably most of and most of us just clear it, but they'll, you know, jump up and down because they don't want you to have cancer, and it can lead to cancer. So what I usually say to women is you have to kind of judge your life. If you are in a stable sexual relationship and eat well and take care of yourself, then probably a pap smear during your fertile years, every three to five years, will be adequate for you. If you're not in a stable relationship, but sexually active, and may have more than one partner over a period of a few years, and or may not have the means to eat as well or take care of yourself as well, then a pap smear every two years is a very good idea. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I consider myself belonging to the first group. So, so if it's more than five years, I can easily do it. Mm-hmm. More than five years when I lost them. And again, uh, you know, as as your situation changes, right, then... You, it's a, again, it's a non-invasive test that the 
basically the only problem with getting a pap smear is that you could be overtreated if it mm-hmm. finds something that they think could lead to cancer. Other than mm-hmm. that, the test itself is the equivalent of taking your fingernail and scratching the inside of your cheek. Mm-hmm. A small wooden spatula is used to scrape a little mucus from the cervix, just like using your fingernail against the inside surface of your cheek. That's smeared on a glass slide and it's looked at micro- under a microscope, and then we can see what's going on there. Mm-hmm. And the ultrasound, do you consider invasive or not? Ultrasound is not invasive, but in general, it's not a needed test. It's not invasive, but there's no reason to do an ultrasound. An ultrasound is usually a diagnostic test that would be done if we want to diagnose something. So if you're saying there's a pain and they say, well, we need to do an ultrasound to diagnose what could be causing that pain, that would be a diagnostic use of it. Mm-hmm. I know that in, that in some places they are trying to convince women just to have regular ultrasounds just for the, you know, whatever of it. And I don't like that at all because those ultrasounds are almost certain to find cysts in the ovaries, which will be benign, and yet the medical profession won't consider them benign, will consider them as a possibility of cancer, and will push a woman in that situation to um, have her uterus and ovaries removed, mm-hmm. which I do not think is an appropriate choice. Mm-hmm. So, once again, the Ultrasound is pretty safe, but can it lead to overtreatment? It certainly can. Thank you. Blessings, thanks. Bye. I guess I. I I'm going to go on to the next doctor. person. Thank you so and, much uh, for your question. Green blessings. Good thank night. Thank you very much, Susan. Have a good thank night. you. Mm-hmm. All right, and it looks like our next caller has dialed in from the 845 area code. From the 845, you are live with Susan. Uh, hello, Sarah Ellen. Thank you, Susan. Hi, what's up tonight? Hi, I'm calling from the High Woods. How are you? I'm well, and you? Well, I'm very well, and I'm... I'm very uh, touched by your last caller. I understood every word she said. Oh, good. Because I lived it. I know what she's going through. And it just puts me in tears because I didn't realize that I was holding on to that mm. part of my so you life. Had that, that you was... had that same kind of pain in your belly? Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And what was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it felt like, uh, oh, it it got so bad, it it felt like a bowling ball. And when you went to the bathroom, it, it, it felt like just like pitchforks or something, you know? Was it a fibroid? Was it endometriosis? I have no idea, but I think it was some kind of bacteria at first. And But I want to just fast forward to the ovaries, why I am so upset. My grandson's mother went in for a simple pap smear, cervical, you know, stage whatever one, cancer, you know, let's just laser this stuff and get rid of it for the second time and she died within two hours and I know I called you right after this 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 was Mm. in uh, 2021 the spring oh my gosh died within two hours (gasps) yes she went home and she was in so much pain that she went to like some boyfriend's house and you know got got something and then then we find out like they put her under with like some fentanyl stuff to put her under to do this little minor laser surgery so no i have a grandson she reacted to the fentanyl and died from it yes Mm -hmm. so i really i i feel so much i understood every word this woman uh, called about and this is what I did Um, I was lucky enough to have a partner who drove me up to a doctor in Ghent and he was part of Walida uh, Walida Pharmacy which is a European thing Mm -hmm. I don't even know if it's a pharmacy it's it's a company you know they sell skin care and oils and creams and stuff like that but they used they used to, and I believe they still do, have a division of doctors that they will recommend. So I was lucky enough to go, and um, he gave me a couple things from Alita, and I think they still do have them. So she could get a Alita doctor. That would probably be very, very helpful at this stage. But in the second story stage around, uh, I don't know what it was, uh, probably three, four, five years later, I started getting like uh, the ovarian cysts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I went to the hospital and I was lucky enough to have, a, again, another European doctor who said, um, normally we would do surgery for this stuff and, you know, it's like a golf ball and take it out. But he said, try the castor oil packs on your mm-hmm. belly. Yep. Yep. Shrunk them works, right up. Yay. Oh, like a charm. Like a no charm. More, Hurrah. No more pelvic pain. Yay. So that's, Yay. That's my declaration, and now I can stop crying because I lived through that, and it was hell for a long I- time. 
hear you. I hope that she's still listening and that Wellida is W-E-L-E-D-A, Wellida. That's right. And that that's a good idea to um, first take your pain to a um, non-modern doctor. Of course, many people feel kind of stuck that they have to go to the regular doctor because they couldn't afford to pay for somebody else. You know, that's the funny part. I'll never forget how kind my boyfriend was to say he would pay for it. And it was $250 back in 1987. Yeah, you know, these are good solutions, but sometimes there's solutions that some people just can't afford. But it saved my life. And it saved your life and saved your body. And so my teachers said, have always said to me, you can afford it. You just have to find a way to afford it because you can't afford right. not to do this. That's what they always said to me was, you just do this because you, and if I said, oh, I couldn't, I can't afford it. They said, yes, you can because think about what it would be if you didn't do it. That's what it means to be back in the saddle again. <laughs> That's exactly what that means. Who cares what road you drive down? Right. So long as you're driving. So I called for a very specific re- uh, reason. I'm so excited. Every year I try to do one spectacular thing with a plant, whether it's get a new plant or, uh, you know, eat a new plant, you know, um, live with a new plant, something, you know. And it's not always accidental. Sometimes I do it on purpose. So one of my favorite apiaces is parsley and Italian parsley. And I am just like, oh, gosh, over the moon. It's my, like, lily pond of plants. I can't get enough of it. And I think I might have one of the same books as you, but I've been doing container gardening too. And I grew a second-year parsley plant, and the roots are, like, coming out of the ground like little carrots. Like carrots, right? Aren't they gorgeous? I just transplanted mine today to bring it in for the winter because I wanted to have a kitchen. And and it was like, really like carrots. The roots were so huge. Yes, yeah, so huge and and like like the size of my fingers. And I'm and parsley root is an herbal medicine. It's yes, good to that, um, cause you to pee it. if you can't. I've never tried it, and it also increases menstrual flow and breast milk. It sounds like it really unclogs the whole. Really, right? It all comes. Right, and when you feel heavy like that, especially at the bottom, I think that's what we want. We Got want it. that empty feeling, like, blah. Yeah, there it all goes. <laughs> yeah. Yay, so I, I've never tried it before, <laughs> have you? I'm sorry, no. <gasps> no, but you have this, you have a plant, too, just like me, so when are you going to harvest it? 
Well, I, I don't know if I'm going to hurt it. As I said, I just transplanted it. And I thought I had one plant, but there were four. Wait, wait, wait. Because it's a biennial, so I was given to me for my given to me for my birthday last February. Yeah. So this plant, okay. uh, right, is not quite a year old at this point, right? No. So you got till next year. So I got till yeah. next year on it. That's what I figured too. Right, and that's what I did. I brought mine inside, and then I put it back out this year. And I ate the parsley, and then I let it go to seed. And now the roots, actually, not the size of my finger. They're like the size of, like, three fingers. Well, they're if it's like a biennial, the roots are the ones that went to seed are useless. You can't what? use the roots of the ones that have already gone to seed. There's nothing in those roots. You can't? No. Aww. If it's oh, a biennial, tough. if it's a perennial, you can. But I think it's a biennial. That's what you said. You just said it's a biennial, and that's what I think. Yeah, it is. And and biennial biennial root at the end of the second year is useless. Uh, Nothing in it. You're right. You left it all went into the seed. It looks useless. It looks like a woody tree trunk. Yeah. Exactly. I waited too long. Okay. You have to get that root at the end of the first year. Okay. It's not that big the first year, though. It's, like, kind of puny. Well, that's what I it, know. The ones that I just transplanted today are huge. Yes. Really? And so if I wanted to harvest that root, this would be the time to do it. Oh, so what did you grow them in all year to get them so big? A tiny little pot. A <laughs> three-inch pot that's about four really? inches deep. Yes, oh, I was so surprised like that there was like four plants in there. They like to be root bound. Huh. There was oh, nothing damn. in there but parsley root, right? <laughs> There's no room for anything in the pot. There's hardly any soil left in it. I wonder if the uh, the root must taste good. I'm not going to waste it, so I'm going to at least like grate it up and try to eat it anyway. Well, wait, it's one. It's not a root. There's nothing left in it. It's There's nothing to waste or to use. The right. plant has used the root by making it into seeds. All right. Well, That's what the plant did with beans. that root. It turned it into seeds. Right. Right? So I'll grow all the root. I mean, I'll grow all the seeds, and then I want to And then any of them the that you want to use to make Partially root something, you'll harvest at the end of the first end year the or the year. spring of the second year. All right. And I'll let some go just for the seeds in case I want more. And okay. if you, any that you want to go to seeds, you can do that. Okay. But, of course, the ones that you harvest the roots of won't ever make seeds because you'll harvest them prior to their making seeds. So one of the things I... You get one or the other. You get the roots or the seeds. You don't get both. Right. Well, uh, right. One of the things I charge about your teaching is your root class, and I'm sorry I couldn't make it this past weekend. I was looking at it the weather. It wasn't the past weekend. It's coming up this weekend. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. So this, I can walk. Saturday. Like I can walk Saturday. around the house Saturday. with a. I can walk around the house with a limp. I can walk with crutches about fifty feet. That's not mm-hmm. enough, is it? Plenty. That is? Absolutely. Really? Yeah. Huh. 
Okay, maybe I'll come. All right, Saturday, good. right? Saturday, yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, I really want to try this parsley root, and um, I can't even remember why I thought I need it, uh, and I know I do. Uh, I th- oh, I don't. No, never mind. But um, because I can't really remember, um, but it struck me that it was very good for um, uh, for childbearing years as a medicine. The the root, and I've never taken the root, but I love parsley. But again, it's as a of, medicine, not as something to to be healthy and. Right. Um, Let's look at what time it is. It's time to welcome our guest. Oh, yay. Okay, yay, Sydney Campos. Welcome to the show. Sydney Campos is a visionary, energy healer, strategy and innovation expert, a transformational facilitator, and best-selling author of the Empath Experience, What to Do When You Feel Everything, published in 2018, and I'm Ascending, now what, published this year, 2023. Sydney is the founder of co-founder and chief operating officer of and host of the Visionary Souls Podcast. Sydney's devotion is to create heaven on earth in all moments. Since 2012, she has guided visions around the world to embody their true selves, powerfully live their purpose, and pioneer the world we wish existed. Whether advising conscious companies, mentoring leaders, training intuitive facilitators, or architects to social community, Sydney illuminates bridges to new dimensions. Sydney is a sought-after expert in the fields of embodiment, sexuality, intuition, and leadership, and has been featured in a lot of magazines, and we are thrilled to have you with us tonight, Sydney. Hi, Susan. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to be here. So when we were um, talking at the very beginning of the show about you having you on tonight, I said that the very first question that I wanted to ask, which is, what is the field of embodiment? Because I have never heard of that before. Oh, cool. Well, to me, I speak about embodiment as the process of really allowing your energy, your spirit, your consciousness to physicalize in your cells, in your body, to go all the way in. Yeah. How could it not? Yeah, how could it not? Are you you saying that it's possible to have a spirit that doesn't live in your body? Well, my experience has been, um, you know, I had to learn how to become embodied. I was enormously disassociated for most of my life, coming from a very traumatized, you know, family, traumatizing, traumatized family, and I learned to disassociate at quite a young age to survive. And then it wasn't until years into my spiritual awakening and practice that I learned I was actually like not in my body. I was quite disassociated and really not present and therefore not able to really connect with myself or with life with others. And then I really made it my practice to learn about what it takes to actually inhabit my body 
so this is a trauma care that you're doing for people who've been in situations of trauma and have, for that reason, or perhaps others, um, not known that they were sold in a body. Is that what you're saying? That's one way of putting it, sure. I, it's cool to be asked about it, honestly. I, I think it's actually this term is used really often, and it's good to define it and actually explain what it means because it seems like it's almost overused. It's like trendy. <laughs> I've noticed. And I've, and I've never heard of it. And I've pretty, pretty well read. Yeah. You know, yeah, over, you know, over 55 years, in a, a wide variety of alternative medicine, hospital settings, and so on, and have never heard uh, of this um, particular thing. But I'm starting to understand uh, what it is that you mean. And, of course, it's also very cultural. It's one of the reasons that I tell people not to use flower essences. I say that flower essences promote the biggest disease on this planet, which is the belief that mind and body or soul and body are separate. That's so interesting. I don't really understand what you mean. I personally really love sure. uh, flower essences and homeopathy. I take an embodied flower, a real flower that's in its body, and mm-hmm. I put it in water and now tell you I have gotten the essence of it and thrown the actual body away. Boing! That's what you did to yourself over oh, and over again. Oh, wow. That's such an interesting way to look at it. I never thought about it. A horrible it thing yeah, to do. Insane. Yeah, it's a horrible thing that. to promote because it yeah. promotes dissociation to think that there's an mm-hmm. essence. Plato is the one who talks about essence. And he says that essence is unchangeable and therefore women don't have it. <laughs> it's a very <laughs> women-hating you know, word, essence. <laughs> yeah. I don't even like to use the word essence yeah, because it has such deep roots in women-hating. Wow, I've never heard of that, and I definitely use that term. Thanks for telling me about that. Yeah, to say that something has an essence is to say it is unchangeable. Hmm. And wow, we don't want that now, do we? That's not what we mean. What we mean is Hmm. this is the clearest image of embodiment that we've been able to find around this thing. And that can't be by getting rid of the body, now can it? No, we're here to be in the body and as the body. We're here to be in the body. So when we take a plant and we throw away the actual plant Mm -hmm. and just have water left, that can't be healing because we have disembodied the plant. Wow. Yeah, my understanding of essences is that you, yeah, and I mean, I've, completely honor your vast experience and I've just dabbled in like remedies and things that have really helped me over the years but my understanding of flower essences and how I worked with them is that we're just getting like a really specific like prescriptive part of the plant to help like with a very particular flower energetic is, flower is what part of the plant Sydney mm-hmm. what part so of the plant the whole, is flower well, it's the whole thing. It's, it's the, whole the thing. sexual yeah. organs. It's right? penis and vagina of the plant is what we're dealing with. So suppose mm-hmm. somebody soaked his penis in water overnight and told you it was for, for world peace. Yeah, I, I wonder why, why, 
Well, I just no, I don't. To say, why because people, like, because they don't embody and they don't understand the body of a plant, but you do. Yeah, I totally see that. So why, so why do people make essences, and why don't we use the whole flower? Well, I do. I use the entire flower. I'm an so herbalist. Not, an so herbalist is, is a person who's embodied in plants and people. Flower essences are people who are disembodied, who are exactly, mm-hmm. as you say, disassociated. They are so disassociated that they don't know that they are soaking the sexual parts of plants in water. Hmm. Yeah, I just wonder why it's so popularized. If it makes a lot, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. Then why why is it not popularized? I mean, you obviously and probably other herbalists are p- practicing using the whole plant because it has a lot more to do with you know? money than usefulness. Essential oils, which are the mm. other side, horribly destructive of the immune system, mm. are also enormously popular. Wow, interesting. Okay, I'm a huge oil fan, so I'd love to hear oh, you tell goodness, me a little bit more about that. Oh my goodness, you're destroying yourself, honey. Please think I don't about know this. About that, but tell me. Oh well, let's think about it. First of all, okay. the essential oil that takes the least plant to make is lavender. Mm-hmm. So, how many pounds of plant of lavender do you think there are in one ounce of lavender essential oil? I have no idea. 2,000 pounds. Wow. Okay, that's a massive amount. That is the one that takes the least plant material. It goes up from there. One of the major manufacturers of essential oils has paid millions of dollars of environmental fines, and they say it's cheaper to pay the environmental fines than it is to harvest environmentally sound. Wow. They're destroying the planet to make essential oils. And, hey, if I went to a willow tree and extracted salicin, which is part of the willow tree, and I then concentrated that and purified it and gave it to you as a white pill called aspirin, would you say that was an herbal remedy? It sounds like it. Oh, you think aspirin is an herbal remedy? Well, just the way you described the production of it. Does it is well, it I don't. Care? That's how we make a drug from a plant. We look at one compound, we take it out, we concentrate it, we purify it, and that makes a drug. Essential oils are drugs. They're not plant-rich. What about, so I always get my oils as best I can from more local, like the ones I primarily use are from, well, friends who I, they make their own. They grow the plants and then they make, even someone who gives me some essences. Yes, they make I, a dis- they, ha- they they have a, mm-hmm. a still. Yes. That well, most people don't. Most people can't make essential oils because you have mm-hmm. to have specialized equipment, just mm-hmm. like a lab. Yes. Yeah, so and most like, people keep their still inside because it can blow up. Yeah, I think that. So I think in that case, just knowing the people that produce it for me, it it works. Sure. Because I really knowing love, the I love them. that produce a drug makes it not a drug. No, it's still a drug. It's still a drug. It's not the embodied plant. 
Yeah, this is all really new information for me. I'm really done sitting this with this. This is about really working totally with bodies. And the body of the plant is the herbal mm-hmm. medicine. When you dilute it into a flower essence, it's no longer embodied. When you concentrate it into an essential oil, you've created a drug, which is like a person who's dissociated. On both ends, you're dissociated. Mm-hmm. Really interesting comparison. Yeah, I can see what you mean. Yeah. So, and it's fascinating to me that you're working with embodiment because I think it's such a critical issue right now. If we don't get embodied, then we're not long for this place. As a matter of fact, it horrifies me, horrifies me whenever I hear anybody say going forward. Yeah. Because what did that replace? What was the phrase we used to say instead of that? don't know. In the future. Oh, interesting. So there is no future for humanity. We've given up on our future. We can only go forward, but we can't even envision a future. Hmm. We're in desperate straits, very desperate straits. We need our bodies and on this planet if we want to stay here. I agree. Fabulous work for this. Thank you. Tell us more written a couple of books. Tell us about the books. Thank you, Susan. Yeah, well, my most recent one, I'm Ascending Now What, is is actually very much related to what you just said and just, you know, shares about my story around, yeah, awakening and learning about becoming embodied and then, you know, and which is an infinite journey. It's not like, oh, you're embodied, you're all set. It's like, you know, for the rest of your life, the next generation <laughs> into deeper. I'm sure you know this, you know, you got a few years on me. So it's like more layers, more depth, more authenticity, more more aliveness, more energy, and, you know, more responsibility, more power, more choice, and more creativity. And, yeah, I just, um, in the last chapter of my book, I just really, you know, kind of give an invitation for humanity to really see how the, the problems, the issues we perceive outside in the world are somehow, I believe, a reflection of unresolved energies that we have going on inside of ourselves you know it's like the outside world is trying to get our attention to look within and really heal and you know forgive and take care of ourselves take care of our bodies take care of our families our loved ones really take care of ourselves and our bodies first and foremost you know so that we can then from that place start to really see how the planet and the earth is it's an extension of us and we are responsible, we're caretakers, you know, and I think once you start to really take care of yourself and really love yourself, you, you can't help but not take care of the planet. You can't help but not feel connected to plants and animals and other humans and feel a natural responsibility to take care of your home. So for me, what you're saying is so important. And mm-hmm. what I see is that when people use flower essences, they buy them. Mm-hmm. They become consumers. When people use essential oils, they buy them. They become consumers. When people use herbs, they see them growing around them. They suddenly mm-hmm. realize they are part of this community on the planet. Mm-hmm. They are no longer consumers, mm-hmm. but active co-creating participants in the planet. Yeah. And this is yeah. one of the reasons why I steer people away from flower essences and essential oils and into mm-hmm. actual herbs. I 
tell this story. I'll probably tell this story the rest of my life. I'm so delighted by it. A woman in my senior yoga class came up to me and said, I've had this particular problem my entire life. I hear that you're pretty good. Do you think you could help me with this? And I said, oh, yeah, this local plant that grows everywhere, I'm sure, would be able to help you. She comes back in two weeks. She said, you're right. My problem is gone. I cannot believe this. And she's like, you know, I'm in her late 70s, and she's had this problem for over 70 years. Right, and bam, a common weed does it. And I said, well, it grows everywhere, da-da-da. And she's like, oh, no, I couldn't do that. I couldn't learn to do that. And then a couple of months go by, and she says to me, well, do you think I should buy this tincture from this place or that place? So I'm figuring she's run out and she needs some more. And I say, well, this weekend we're going to dig that root and make a tincture with it. Why don't you come over? And she did. And she was actually, with the help of the class, able to dig the root she needed herself from my garden, wash it up, cut it up, make her own tincture, and go home with that. Oh, beautiful. That feels so good. To there would be no story if I had sold her as flower essence or an essential oil. Mm-hmm. What about for people that live in cities who are, like, that's the closest they can get? My, one of my <laughs> first apprentices, Robin Rose, went back to New York City and harvested every plant she needed from the sidewalks of New York for three years and completely cured all of her problems. Really? That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> New York tremendous mm-hmm. place for medicinal plants. Mm-hmm. Cool. So plants grow everywhere. They don't just, and especially the plants I use, which are weeds. This plant mm-hmm. that I turned this woman onto is a common weed found all over the world. Wow, hidden in plain sight, right? <laughs> right. So she is now connected to the earth, connected to her health, and realizes that she is the recipient of this gift. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, there's so something so healing when about you buy that. Mm-hmm. Really different than when you are the consumer of it. Yeah, I think there's yeah. something around when you make your own medicine too. It has. I've experienced that. I mean, even with cooking. I mean, anything you're making to ingest, it's like you feel like the process of making it is encoding whatever you're making with your energy, so that you can better metabolize like whatever the the healing capacity or the healing effect is. That's certainly possible. <laughs> wouldn't put it past you at all. <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about uh, being empathic and dealing with empathy because I'm not so sure it exists. Oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I my take is that everybody is has empathic abilities and is, you know, attuned to a certain extent to be able to feel the world around us, especially as we become more connected to nature and the rhythms of the natural world. And I that book I wrote and you know, started in twenty seventeen and it was from an earlier part of my life where years years before that even I, you know, first learned the term empath. I was in a, a energy healing session and I just felt better than I had ever felt. I felt clear for the first time in my life and I was shocked like what just happened and the healer told me you know you're an empath you've been sponging up all this energy around you I was living in New York City at the time and you've just been absorbing energy from everyone and everything around you and no wonder you felt so so much anxiety and so much fear and you know just so tired and you know it just started a, a new journey exploring like okay knowing this 
knowing that I'm, you know, unconsciously absorbing energy from people and places, environments I'm going into, like in my office or just on the train, wherever, and, you know, even by collective events that are happening, you know, how do I take care of myself? What do I have to do so that I can just feel better, you know, so I can sleep well and, and not be so anxious and not be so afraid? And I started to learn, you know, and I started to learn about meditation, energy healing, different practices. Boundaries. And, you yeah, finally exactly. boundaries. Well, so this is another thing. Hooray! Um, I am all for lines painted on your roads, stop signs, at intersections. Well, what I learned is that this this is a gift, this ability to be highly intuitive and empathic and have a high degree of, of empathy. Uh, but intuition um, but and empathy are different. Oh, yeah, they're absolutely different. And empathy are from... quite... You see, what I see is yeah. that people are very good at projecting. So, for instance, I had a person who makes flower essences here for a class on talking with plants. And although I told her very clearly that plants that grow close to water are cooling and that um, the red color in a plant would only indicate heat if it was very low in the plant, um, I gave her a plant growing by the water, very tall, with red flowers way up at the top, and she decided that it was a heating plant because she projected her own images onto that. And this is what I see. I ask people, are you 100% aware of everything that you are feeling and thinking at any given time? And no one has ever said yes to that. And I say, okay then, if we have to all admit that we don't really know where we're at most of the time, then isn't it a real long shot to think that we're actually picking up from other people? I think we're projecting, and that we're far better off to not project, to in fact ask. Rather than say, oh, I feel your sorrow, I would rather have someone say to me, you seem to me to be sad. Is that what's going on? Because I'm an autistic person. And what I sometimes say is all my switches are mislabeled. So I might actually look sad, but not be sad at all. Hmm. So people who, quote unquote, are empaths, totally misread me all the time. Because they're not really reading me. But intuition is a whole other thing. And I do believe that we all have mirror neurons and that we are able to mirror each other. And this is where the idea of empathy comes from. But this person teaching you to set boundaries, what a marvelous, marvelous gift. And you do sound like a very intuitive person. We could say that everybody is, but I think more to the point, you're willing to go with it. Sure, yeah. Well, it's just become a, a gift that, you know, and I love to share and also empower other people to awaken more of their natural abilities. And I was going to say that what I've learned is that, you know, empathic abilities, intuitive abilities in many cases are formed in very traumatic childhoods where you develop multidimensional sense perception to track the environment and, you know, to really to survive as a child, often before you're even aware of different dynamics or what's going on, you learn to definitely project and also sense, you know, what's happening in within other people around you and in the environment so that you can make sure you're going to be okay. 
I just noticed the time, and I have been negligent in asking you to let people know how they can get in touch with you. I know at this point they're going, I want more of Sydney. How do I get more of Sydney? <laughs> Thank you. The best way to connect with me is just through my website, sydneycampos.com, and then I'm also on Instagram under my name, Sydney Campos, and you can find my books at all bookstores and online. And Sydney has an E in it. And Campos <laughs> is like camp with OS at the end. Sydney <laughs> Campos. And uh, you can find her there and get lots more. I am sure your two books, and tell us the titles of your books again, please, are available everywhere. Yeah, The Empath Experience, What to Do When You Feel Everything, and then the new one is I'm Ascending, Now What? (laughs) That's a very catchy title, what fun. (laughs) Thanks. So is there anything we haven't talked about that you really wanted to talk about? I was just, um, yeah, it was great to hear your perspectives on two things I never really considered before and the connection between uh, disassociation and embodiment regarding plants and the way we work with different remedies. That was really fascinating, and I feel almost like challenged to sit with that information a little bit more. So thank you for that. And, yeah, there wasn't much more I wanted to mention other than that, you know, it's we're coming into the eclipse, and I guess what's been really alive for me this week and many others I'm connected to is just like a reminder to really take excellent care of ourselves and really tend to, you know, the inner child and like younger parts that might be coming up to really be just acknowledged and loved and accepted, you know, and this is really the best thing that we can do for ourselves and then for the planet. Uh, All right, I think Susan's called drop, so let me look for her number here and get her back online. Reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients, and is Sydney back with us? Hi. Hi. I was saying that we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients, and I was thanking you for the shimmer oh, of the you. heads you bring mm-hmm. to this weaving. And thank you, Sarah Ellen, for helping me restore herbal medicine to its rightful places, people's medicine. Mm-hmm. Good night and green blessings to everyone. <laughs> 